Hello to everyone. Hope everyone's doing well and blessed of the Lord. We're certainly thankful for another opportunity to record. Um, we're sorry that this episode is late. It didn't come out on Wednesday morning like we typically try to do. Uh, just seemed to run out of time as far as opportunity to record. But uh, better late than never is what they always say. So uh, we'll try to to dig back in in another Bible study, looking at those feasts of the Old Testament. And we're looking right now at the first group of feasts, which the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks. So all of these connected uh, together by time and really by their relationship to the work of Jesus Christ for the salvation of man. I hope that what we've covered so far has been a help to you. And I, I realize that some of this stuff is difficult to follow. Uh, for me, if, if I'm not sitting down and writing down, it's easy for me to get lost in my mind of what I'm thinking of, what day this is. Uh, and I don't mean the day that we're in right now, but as far as the days of these feasts and when this occurred, when that occurred, so I realize that some of this stuff may be hard to follow in a format like this, but we'll do our best to try to explain and uh, not get too far in the weeds, not be too confusing with what we're looking at. So if you'd like to look with us today, if you're in a place where you can open your Bible, we're in Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to look at the Feast of the first fruits. And just as a quick review, uh, we looked at the Feast of the Passover, uh, took a couple episodes for that, uh, to take an in-depth look at and how amazing that it is, at how closely it ties with the times and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The days match perfectly. Uh, the day that they set aside the Lamb for the Passover was the same day that the Lord Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem in his triumphant entry. The day that they killed the Passover lamb was the same day and the same time frame that the Lord Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross. And that was the 14th. So they killed this lamb on the 14th day of the month. And that was in the evening. And remember, 6 p.m., was the time that the days changed. And again, I realize this can be confusing. So they killed this lamb between 3 and 6 o'clock of the evening on the 14th. And at 6 p.m., the day changed to the 15th. And there they ate the feast of the Passover in that evening of the 14th and night of the 15th. They ate the Passover meal with unleavened bread and that Passover meal began the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which began on the 15th day. And unleavened, leaven was cleansed from their house, and unleavened bread was eaten until the 21st. Seven days that lasted. So the work of Christ, the salvation that he provided through his death, and us taking that sacrifice into ourselves... As the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 8, My flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. Not naturally, but spiritually speaking. 
It all ties together with this Passover that by the blood they escape the judgment of God in Egypt and by eating of the lamb in the sacrifice they had the strength as God led them out to come out of Egypt. And then began the feast of unleavened bread where that all the leaven of Egypt was cleansed from their houses and for seven days they ate bread without leaven in it. And that was a picture and a type and a shadow of the sanctification of the natural life of the work of Christ Jesus. This salvation does not only include a work that's in the heart and invisible to man, but it includes a work also of the changing of the life, that there from that birth, that new birth, is a new creature, a new life, no longer dwelling in bondage in Egypt, but a life free, not free to sin, but free to serve God and escape the bondage of sin through the indwelling of the Holy Ghost of God. So we've had so far a picture of the death, the sacrifice, the release, and as well as the sanctification of the natural life. And then we come to the feast of the first fruits. Now I'm going to read, uh, we're in Leviticus 23, I'm going to read verse 9 to verse 14 as they lay out this feast of the first fruits, And I'll say, as we look here in this chapter, I realize the dates can be confusing. But if we look back in Leviticus 23, same chapter, we back up to verse 5. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And so we have there what we've been talking about. The feast of the Passover and unleavened bread that are tied together at the same time, the same day. Well, if we come down to verse 9, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I shall give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf, and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord, and the meat offering thereof shall be two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of the wine, the fourth part of a hen. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, in all your dwellings. <clears throat> so here the Lord lays out to Moses this first fruits feast that's to occur. And the offering of the first fruit, and let's, let me back up. We won't go there yet. Let's talk about the day here. So we've got the laying out of the 14th day and the Passover, the 15th to the 21st of the unleavened bread. And then in verse 10 and 11, He's talking about the first fruits. And he says that on the morrow after the Sabbath, 
So maybe that doesn't seem to connect, but it does. Whatever day that the Passover was offered, and whatever day that the Sabbath was after it, on the day after that Sabbath, this first fruit was to be offered to the Lord. So that in this time, there all of these feasts were taking place. And we will look at Pentecost probably next time. But just to tie it together, in the 15th verse of this chapter, that's one beyond where we stopped reading, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, ye shall number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. <clears throat> and so here... All of these feasts are tied together. They all are timed off of one another. You offer the Passover. You begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the day after, the next Sabbath, this offering of first fruits is to be offered. And uh, let's just talk about what he's saying here. When they come into the land of Canaan, to the promised land, God's going to give them farms. He's going to give them houses. He's going to give them wells that they didn't dig, they didn't plow, they didn't plant. God's going to give that to them that belonged to the heathen previously. And God says, when you begin to take your harvest, you bring the very first fruits, the first ripe that's picked from, uh, from the barley, you bring that to me and offer that before you ever eat of any of it. They were not permitted to eat of the harvest until they had offered this first fruits offering. And so by bringing the first fruits to God and offering this sacrifice, it brings God's blessing upon the rest of the crop and the remainder that's left after the first fruits is all theirs to enjoy with God's blessing upon it. So this first fruits, let's talk about the day, the day after the Sabbath, which is the Sabbath after the Passover. So when we relate that back to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus was killed on the 14th, and we talked whether that was a Thursday or a Friday. That's up for debate. Really, that's not an important thing, but it could be either one. And then you've got the Sabbath, the Saturday. Now Jesus would have been in the tomb for that Sabbath day. And the day after that Sabbath, they're going to be offering the first fruits offering unto God so that the rest of the crop could be blessed as they bring it in. So they're actively doing this at the time of Jesus' death. The day after the Sabbath is the day of the first fruits offering. Well, what happened the day after the Sabbath? after the Passover. And I hope that this is, I hope you can see this picture that's going on. So we'll just go by tradition and say Jesus is crucified on a Friday and laid in the tomb Friday evening. <clears throat> He's there <clears throat> Friday night, by the way we count time. Saturday, Saturday night. Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, the day of the first fruits offering, 
Jesus is resurrected from the dead. So Jesus being resurrected, at the same time that the priests are offering the first fruit offering, and you see, it's amazing how that Moses, 1500 or so years before Christ, he had the timeline down. By the revelation of God, God knew what day that Jesus was going to enter Jerusalem, what day that Jesus was going to be crucified, and he tells us what day Jesus is going to be resurrected, all hidden in these Old Testament feasts. But now remembering that the offering was so that the remainder of the crop could have the blessing of God upon it. And we see pictures of this in the New Testament in Romans chapter 11, verse number 16. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, I'm, I'm kind of pulling that out of context, but you see what Paul's saying here, that if the first fruit's holy, if that's offered to God and it's been blessed, then the remainder of the crop is blessed for the people to take and eat of that. That's the picture that we're getting here. Well, if Jesus has offered himself for our sins, for our guilt, for our iniquities, and now he's been resurrected from the dead, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, and it seems like I haven't been able to get out of this chapter very much at all lately. In 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, he says, For if the dead, this is verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. So he's saying that if Christ did not resurrect from the dead, then we've got nothing to have faith in. He would have been just another man, such as we are, just as David was, just as Moses was, that died, he was a sinner, and he couldn't do anything about it for himself nor anybody else. So this resurrection of Jesus without him being raised from the dead, then there is no resurrection from the dead. Our faith is in vain, and we're still sinners. And also, them which have already died in Christ, they've perished. They've got no hope of ever being redeemed, ever being resurrected, ever being brought back from the state of dead. They've died in their sins, their body is in the grave, and their body will remain there forever. And their soul is in hell, separated from God, and they'll never escape from that torment of hell. Now that's where man's left without Christ's resurrection. But Christ did raise from the dead. There is a resurrection. There is a life, and there is hope after this life for those that are in Christ. So he, he concludes this with this verse. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now without Christ, you talk about a miserable, miserable life that man has. He's going to live a few days full of trouble 
Everybody bears sorrow. Everybody bears trouble. We'll live a few days full of trouble. We'll all experience sorrow. We'll all weep. We'll all, you know, as fast as life passes by and as empty as time is, all you've got of the days gone by are memories that are gone. Those times are gone and all that's left as I remember, well, our memories and our time is swiftly running out. And when time runs out without Christ and a hope of a life after this one, what has man got? He's going to die. He's going to lift his eyes in hell. There's no hope whatsoever. But Paul says as well, we are of all men most miserable. Those that follow Christ, if there's no resurrection, what a waste of time and opportunity and life and strength that it is. If there's nothing after this life, what a waste of time it is to follow the Lord Jesus. We might as well be, as Isaiah said and as is quoted in other places, let us eat and sleep for tomorrow we die. Let's enjoy what we've got while we've got it. But you see, there is life after this one. Jesus has wrote, risen from the dead. He is alive and seated at the right hand of God. And there is a resurrection at the end of this life. But now, so in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Now the argument might be had here, well, what about the people that were resurrected in the Old Testament? And I think famously, possibly most famously, that dead man that was thrown in and touched the bones of Elisha and was resurrected. That man was raised from the dead. What about Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead? And there's many other examples of people that were resurrected. Well, what about them, you might say? Well, all of those people that were resurrected, they died again. That was a temporary, fleshly resurrection. They were raised again in a corruptible flesh that died again and went back to the grave. So Christ, he didn't resurrect in a corruptible flesh for a temporary time and die again like Lazarus did. Christ was raised, and, and you know, as well, all the Old Testament resurrections and those wrought by Jesus or the apostles, all of those were resurrected by the power of God in another person. The Lord Jesus, by His own power, after death, raised Himself from the dead, incorruptible, to never die again. And Jesus was the first fruits of them that slept. So He was the very first to raise from the dead with an incorruptible body that was pure, holy, righteous, and could stand in the presence of Almighty God. He was the first fruits. Now you know, if you've ever grew a garden, those first ripe tomatoes, those first ripe ears of corn, those are the best that you can pluck out of the garden. And the longer time goes on, the lower and lower quality that that food becomes. Well, Jesus was the first fruits, and He was the best. He was perfect. He was that that God 
put his blessing and approval upon by saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus' sacrifice, acceptable to God, and God allowed him to be resurrected in power, and he was the first fruits, so that all of those resurrected after him could have the blessing of God upon it. There would be no resurrection outside of Jesus. There would be no eating of the crop in the Old Testament without the offering of the first fruits. So Christ is risen and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Adam, as in Adam, all die. Adam brought a curse upon all of man, and all of man dies as a result of Adam's deed. Now that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. Man fell in the garden under sin, under the dominion of Satan, under the dominion of lies and deceit, and under the dominion of death. And every man that's ever lived, from Adam to where we are today, has died. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the second man Adam, of a spiritual generation and a spiritual um, seed, he was the one, the man, born of a woman, that gave his life and yet rose from the dead in victory over all that Satan had brought upon man through sin and through the guilt of sin. So the Lord Jesus was the first fruits from the dead and through Christ all are going to be made alive. Now he says all. And he means all. Everybody that is dead will be resurrected again. Now, the condition of man at this resurrection is dependent upon what he does with the word of God and the sacrifice of Jesus in this life. Daniel sees it, and in other places as well, that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. The sinner's going to get up because the Lord Jesus defeated death. The Lord Jesus defeated sin. He's going to get up unto a resurrection of death. A resurrection unto hell. That great white throne judgment. And now friends, if there's no hell, then why should I serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Why should I spend my time studying the Word of God, laboring to be a help to people, trying to follow the Lord Jesus? Why should I not just live it up if there's going to be no payment for sin? Why would the Lord Jesus sacrifice himself if man's not in danger of an eternal judgment? So, there will be a resurrection through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. All shall be made alive, but every man in his own order. So there's an order of this resurrection. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. And then cometh the end. 
So in order for this to take place, and I guess that would be the wrong word, but for this resurrection to take place, there was an order that had to be in place. And the order was Christ, the first fruits. Without Christ, there's no resurrection. Without a first fruit, the rest of the crop is cursed and you're not allowed by law to eat of that. Well, without Christ Jesus, all of mankind is cursed and there's no escape from hell, from the grave, and from death for man. But because the Lord Jesus was sacrificed and because he resurrected, he was the very first fruit from the dead bringing a victory unto man that all of man could have victory over death for their own self. Destroying the works of the enemy and the work of Satan. So Christ the first fruits afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. And we can look in other places as well at Thessalonians, for example, where it speaks of this last resurrection and really speaks quite plainly in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I realize all of this scripture is very popular and well known and no doubt you probably know it better than we do. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall raise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the saints of God that are dead, they're coming with him. And us that are alive and remain, we're going to be changed. He says that later on in 1 Corinthians 15. And we're all going to be gathered in, acceptable unto God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what about the sinner then? Some are going to be resurrected, as Daniel foresaw in his book, and as Jesus himself spoke of in John chapter 5, verse 29. Let's back up to 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So at this time then, there's a resurrection of all the dead. Those that are saved, they're obviously gathered, gathering the wheat into the garner. They're gathered up by the angels. They're taken up to the Lord and there they are with him in safety. And the chaff shall be burned with unquenchable fire, the Lord Jesus says in one of his parables. So that at this time, in Christ, all of man's getting up. Those that have put their faith in the work of Christ Jesus for righteousness shall be gathered in the resurrection of life.
And to them that have disbelieved the word of God, rejected the knowledge of God, and turned away from the truth, to them they'll be raised under the resurrection of damnation. We can see that in Revelation at the great white throne judgment where they're judged out of the books according to their works and those not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. They were unacceptable because they did not come through the first fruit offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7, again another very familiar scripture, Hebrews 7 verse 25, but a, a glorious chapter and a glorious verse wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them his eternal resurrection brings assurance of an eternal salvation those that are born again in Christ they will always have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous they've always got somebody there when Satan who is titled in the Bible the old accuser when the accuser before God shows our sins we've got an advocate there to argue our case and I don't say that wrong in any means. Um, I realize that could be taken wrongly. But we've got an advocate that died and paid for our sins. And that is there for us. And for that reason, his unchangeable priesthood and his eternal intercession for the saints of God were able to be saved unto the uttermost without question and without fear by the work of the mighty grace of the Lord God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So this working, and you think back now, I guess we've kind of not talked a whole lot about the Feast of the First Fruits, but this offering that we see in Leviticus being offered unto God that the rest of the uh, crop, the rest of the harvest, could have God's blessing upon it and that they might take that in. Well, through the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have means of being resurrected and being acceptable unto God. Without the first fruits, there can be no partaking of the crop and the harvest. Without Jesus Christ, there is no harvest. There is no resurrection. There is no freedom from the dead. But His single offering <clears throat> made it possible for there to be life after this life that's escaping hell. So this offering that's to be offered, there is the wave offering that's taken in and waved before the Lord. Remember the Lord Jesus, and uh, you know, I, I don't have a full understanding of everything that this means, but the Lord told Mary, touch me not, for I've not yet ascended to my Father. You know, I, I think of this here, Touch me not, 
because I've not been waved before the Lord as of yet. And, you know, I, I guess that's up for speculation and debate. That would be a wonderful study of itself if the Lord would give us understanding of everything that he meant there. But the Lord says, touch me not. We can't take part until he's been offered on the altar of God acceptable unto him. And so, you've got the wave offering, as well as a lamb without blemish of the first year. That lamb, again, another picture of Jesus. The meat offering, so you've got flour. When you see meat offering here, it's in reference to flour. It's not that they're bringing a steak. But here the word is in reference to that wheat, that barley, flour that they're offering to God. Two-tenth deals mingled with all an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. <clears throat> so you've got the wave offering to be accepted, a blood sacrifice for sins, a flour sacrifice mingled with oil. So when they add that to the fire, there's going to be bread baked, and you've got wine as well that's going to be offered unto God through this first fruit offering. Now, the Lord Jesus' sacrifice and His acceptability and resurrection before God made means for man to be able to eat of the holy bread of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, the bread from heaven. He, uh, through His sacrifice, there was wine of the Holy Ghost of God given to bring joy to man's heart. And all through the offering, of the Lord Jesus, man has access to these things unto God. Ye shall eat, now listen, ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever. <clears throat> so there's no eating of anything from the field until this selfsame day and this first fruit sacrifice has been made. There was no resurrection from the dead. There was no hope for man to escape the grave outside of the offering and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something that man was trying to attain to by his works or by his doings. But this offering made the, first, made the rest of the crop holy. And Jesus Christ and His resurrection and being the first fruits from the dead made way for mankind to be gathered in and acceptable unto God only through the work of the Lord Jesus. So up to this point, we've had the Passover. Jesus set aside and killed for the sins of mankind. <clears throat> we have His sanctification that He brings to those that eat of His Passover. And now, in the first fruits, we have His resurrection from the dead, the work that He performed, that there might be a resurrection for all of mankind. <clears throat> and notice... Everything matches with the dates of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover, the Lord Jesus resurrected, and He was our first fruits that made us acceptable unto God through His blood. I hope that's been a help to you. Next time we'll try to look at the Feast of Weeks or of Pentecost. I feel like that is familiarity to us. I believe we can see the day of Pentecost and how that ties in with the New Testament work of the Lord Jesus probably already. But we'll look at that next time and try to tie all of these together at what a complete work that the Lord Jesus did for mankind. Nothing was lacking. Nothing was left off. But all that was needed for man to be redeemed was provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you again for listening. I hope and pray that we could be a help to you, that you could grow in understanding and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you could be strengthened by His Word and helped along life's way. Thank God for a resurrection in Christ Jesus our Lord and how fitting it is that we're covering this just a few days before Easter and uh, the day before Good Friday. So I hope everyone has a happy and blessed Easter. Hope everyone has wonderful services in the Lord. And do, please, pray for us and our family. We love you.